0: Weeks and We've been doing this uh, many of the years I've been here, and uh, this week we're praying for a sister church uh, in Smithville. Many of you all know this church, Pastor Gra- uh, George Lakatos. Uh, Judy Judy had us uh, thinking twice this week because this is the second week in a row we've prayed for someone named Pastor George. Uh, last week was Pastor George at Gashlin. This is Pastor George at Grace Community Church in Smithville, and i uh, known Pastor George for years, um, and he's led that church well for many years. I said... He said, how do we get the privilege of being prayed for by your church on Easter Sunday? I said, you know what? You pray for us, we'll pray for you. So he said, just pray that Christ is honored in our church during the pandemic and that people come to know Christ. That's all I want you to pray for our church. I said, pastor, we can do that for you. Pray the same for us. So as we pray, we come to pray for our our sister church and our message. So let's bow our heads together and we'll go before our Lord as we do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, this, these are the kind of days that we, uh, I think most of us wish we had all year. Uh, it's just cool enough at night and just warm enough during the day, and it's just beautiful, Lord. So thank you so much. Father, it's it's so much easier after a hard winter to think about spiritual things because the weather's nice and all these things. And it's Easter Sunday. But Father, I pray for what we're going to talk about today and what we're praying for other churches, our realities in our lives throughout the year, through the winter, through the fall, through all the seasons of life, through the marital ups and downs, through the singles ups and downs, whatever stage of life we're in, retirees, Father, that, that we know that your son, the risen Lord, said he would never leave us nor forsake us. And he, he is with us always, even until the end of the age. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we also pray this morning, we pray for our sister church of Grace Community Church there in Smithville, just off the the lake there. Father, we thank you for their faithfulness. Father, we know their church was formed out of doctrinal controversy almost 20 years ago. And yet, by your grace, faithfully, they've trotted along, and you've blessed their 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 uh, fidelity to your word, and thank you for that. Bless Pastor George, bless their church, may they reach many people for Christ, and may they grow people in Christ. Thank you for his stewardship and faithfulness, Lord, all over all these years. Father, our church is the same, we give it to you, Tower View is not a pastor's church. It's not a congregation's church. It is your church, Father. So, Lord, be glorified through it. Use us as we are. But, Father, take us to places we have not yet been in sharing and growing together. Father, we love you. Be with us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to John 11, John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11, this is a very familiar verse for most of you, or verses for most of you, and this is our our passage today. Our sermon is entitled, Four Facts About the Risen Savior, Four Facts About the Risen Savior. And we know this text, don't we? This is the the text of Scripture that many of us hear at funerals. We hear this preach that Jesus is teaching uh, about life and death. And the scene of this text is one that is very real for most of us. Someone very important in Martha's life has died. Her brother has died. Her brother Lazarus has died. And now Jesus has been sent for, and yet Jesus delays. Jesus, the Son of God, delays coming. And we pick it up in verse 24, and I'm going to read off my sheet because I don't want uh, wind blowing me all over with my, my light pages today. But hear the word of the Lord. This is what Martha said. Martha said to Jesus, I know That he, speaking of Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Friend, I think it goes without question that death is a reality for each one of us. The CDC put out a new statistic this week. Maybe you saw it, or maybe you're so sick of seeing statistics, but 10 out of 10 people die. Did you know that? That took a whole bunch of science to figure that out. 10 out of 10 people are eventually going to die. And not only in our families and friends, but each of us personally. We can never escape it. And wise is the person who prepares for his or her death just as they would for life. The story is told of King Philip, King Philip was the father of Alexander the Great, the man who took over what we know as the modern Middle East during his conquest many years ago, thousands of years ago. And he would have a servant, King Philip would, who would walk around every day. And his one job, his one job was to approach the king every day and look him square in the face and say, King Philip, remember, you too must die someday. How are you living today? And so it is with us. All of us must die unless Jesus returns first, and only those who are prepared to die are those who are prepared to live. We must learn to die to live. That sounds so weird, doesn't it? Especially if you're visiting. And to learn to die means is that we believe the one who has power over the grave and death itself. And who is that? Of course, it's Jesus who just said those very things. We must commit our lives to him. We must know and realize that if we put our faith in him, we can die well no matter whatever time that comes. And we we need to know how to face death, not just others' death, but ours as well, because it is coming someday. This last year has taught us anything. It's that death is always knocking at our door. Whether it be COVID or something else, death is always present. Our big idea, our sermon big idea, and it's on your bulletin as well, is that the one Jesus who lived above history, entered history, and by his life, death, burial, and resurrection would make a mark on history that could never be erased. The only way we face death is by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the conqueror of death. He's the one who we are to put our trust in. And Jesus made many staggering claims, many staggering claims. We're going to look at four of them today, but perhaps none more than this. In these verses, Jesus claims to be God. In fact, he claims to be very God. He claims to be God of the universe come down. We would call that person crazy and send him to three rivers or whatever it is south of the river, whatever the crazy bin is where people would go. But Jesus wasn't crazy. He wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't a liar. He was, as C.S. Lewis said, he's the Lord. And here he claims to have absolute authority. And he can and will raise the dead at the end, and all who believe on him will be raised with him. And so four things this morning that we will see. Four facts about Christ. We're going to see who he is. We're going to see what he requires. We're going to see what he promises. We're going to see what he asks each of us to do, what he asks each of us to do. First, who is Jesus? Well, look back at verse 24. He tells you who he is. He says, I, or it's verse 25, excuse me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't you love that phrase, I am. We don't have time to, today to unpack it all, but if you've studied the book of John before, you know the I am statements of Jesus. They hearken back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell Israel, I am. the I am has sent me, sent you, and my name will last forever. Our God is not bound. Our God is independent. Our God is autonomous. Our God is self-sufficient. Our God is not dependent on anyone else. And that is our greatest hope, isn't it? Is that everything is dependent on him. Our God is the I am. Remember when Jesus, this was a Good Friday part of the sermon, but when Jesus was about to be arrested, they said, is Jesus here kind of thing? And he said, I am he. Do you remember what happened to those soldiers? They fell back because he invoked the very name of God himself because he is God. When Jesus says He is the resurrection and the life, He is saying something very important. He is saying that He is co-equal. He's co-eternal. He's co-powerful with the Father and the Spirit, that He is fully God, that He is God in human flesh. And Christian, you've heard that before. We've preached that here probably every week. I hope we do in some way, shape, or form. But that is something that is so different than what the world says. Jesus is not just a teacher about the resurrection. He's not just a source or a giver of the resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. All life starts with him. All life, physical, spiritual, starts with him. He's the root and the fountain of all life. He's a sovereign conqueror of death. He's a savior of the body. He's the living one who gives life. There is no resurrection outside of Jesus Christ, just as there is no life outside of him either. And this is who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. You don't have to turn that. I'll read it for you, but Revelation 1:17 and 18 Jesus said this about himself. John said, "When I saw him, I fell at Jesus' feet as though a dead man. But Jesus laid his right hand on me saying, 'Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades.'" You know, it's kind of like those movies where you see the, the hero is locked up inside the jail, and he's always trying to reach for the keys or try to get the dog that has the, the keys around his neck to come to his jail cell so he can somehow reach around and unlock his cell. Our God doesn't have to do that. God is the gatekeeper, and he's the doormaster, and he is the key holder. He unlocks the doors of death and Hades. He alone can open the grave and raise those who are in the grave. What authority belongs to him? He basically is saying, in no uncertain terms, John eleven twenty five 25, I am God. I am God. That is different than the Mormons believe. That's different than the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. That's different with respect to, quote-unquote, liberal Christians believe. Either Jesus is God or he's not. He cannot be both and. He has to be one or the other. But here Jesus says he alone has authority to raise himself up from the grave and raise all others else as well. John 2, 18 through 23, this is what Jesus also said. So the Jews said to him, John 2, 18, what sign do you show us? And Jesus answers them, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. This temple has taken 46 years to build and you'll raise it up in three days, the Jews said to him. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus spoke to them. Friends, our Savior is amazing, isn't he? The same God who raises people from the dead is still living and active today. No pandemic, no politics, no pundits, no press can ever take that away from him. He is the Lord. He spoke and all existence came to be. He was born of a virgin. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And we must deal with this Jesus someday. If you're not a Christian here today, I'm so grateful you're here. But who is Jesus to you? I mean, Jesus asked that of his followers. In Matthew 16, he looked at Peter and said, who do you say that I am? And that is the question you must ask. But Jesus says this about himself. He says he's the resurrection and the life. That's the first fact. The second fact is this. Who Jesus is is number one. Number two, what does Jesus require? What does Jesus require? And if you see there, it says that he who believes in me. What does he require of you? He requires that you believe in him. He requires that you believe in him. Look, if he is God... We need to know what's required of us. Most of us, if we're could, if we honest, we really don't want to know what's required of us because then we have to do it, right? If we don't know it, we don't have to follow through with it. But that's not how it works with God. The, the requirement is, is that we believe in Him. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what background we bring to the table, this singular fact is true. We must believe in Jesus Christ. We must trust in Him. We must rely on Him. We must commit ourselves to Him. And He says there in verse 25, John 11, 25, you must believe in Me. It's not just random faith. It's not, man, I love Indiana Jones. This is like the third movie reference today, and we haven't watched a movie in a long time. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it's been over 33 years ago since that movie came out. Many of y'all remember this. Harrison Ford gets to the end of the temple, and he's trying to get across from one ledge to the next. Do you remember this? Those of you who've seen the show... And he kind of closes his eyes, and he steps out, and the camera does the the great panorama that it does, and it looks like he's just going to fall in the crevice. And then he steps out, and he lands on a rock, and there's actually a bridge that's all the way across. Faith is not like that. Faith is not like Indiana Jones blindly stepping out, hoping that it's catching him. Faith in Jesus is as solid as a mountain. It is a rock that we stand on. But it only is found in Christ, in Christ alone. He's the object of our faith. So how do we believe in him? Well, it takes at least three things. First, it takes knowledge. You must have knowledge of the truth. And it begins with the gospel, that you and I are great sinners, but in Christ we have a great Savior. I am a great sinner, and he is a great Savior. That is the truth of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you know that. That's how you came to Christ. You didn't walk proudly like a peacock through the door. You walked humbly under the the narrow gate to come to Jesus. And you can't save yourself. If you're here today, your good works mean nothing. They are, as Isaiah says, a filthy rag. There's nothing that you can do. The only way that you can come to know Jesus is to repent and turn from your sin. But it doesn't just start with knowledge. That's a starting point. How do you believe in him? It starts with knowledge, but it also starts with conviction. You must be convicted that these truths are correct. You know, husbands, our wives are really good at this. Because we often say we don't remember things, we just happen to forget things very easily. And they bring us knowledge, and then they say, I told you about this, and there's conviction. And we'll get sheepish for a second and say, I'm sorry, honey. But that's not the type of conviction we're talking about. The type of conviction we're talking about is one that radically changes your life It's like being thrown into a jail, and they toss out the key, and you can't get out. And then all of a sudden, they come to you and say, someone has paid your price. Someone, even though you've done terrible things, has paid your penalty. How grateful would you be? You'd be extremely grateful. You must have knowledge of what Jesus requires of you, that you are not able to save yourself. He's the only way. But you must have conviction, convicted of your sin, knowing that you're under the wrath of God, but Broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to Christ. You must be hopeless and helpless without Christ to come to him. You must believe in him through knowledge, through conviction, but there has to be a commitment. There has to be a commitment. By drawing of the Spirit, I believe in Jesus. God brings me to himself, but it's not just having knowledge or being persuaded or feeling bad about your sin. You must choose to believe in Jesus Christ. You must choose to believe that. Christian, you've done that, haven't you? You've chosen to believe in Christ. You've chosen at some point to believe that He is your Savior. I mean, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus died for you. It's not enough just to say, man, I feel bad for my sins. It's not enough to see others come to know Christ or read about it or have a Christian spouse or come to church or have a Bible study. Each one of us must make a decision to follow Jesus And Christian, can I reaffirm you today? You say, I know the gospel, Pastor. Great. Then have you recommitted yourself every day to the task of Jesus Christ? Have you recommitted yourself to making disciples, to not just posting on Facebook about the resurrection of Jesus because it's convenient when everyone else does it around Easter time? Man, if Christians were so, and I'm speaking broadly here, but if we were so enamored about the resurrection of Jesus like Easter was every Sunday, how different would this world be? Friend, if you're a Christian, then have you shared the gospel with anyone lately? Your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, whomever you can, that person at the store, what have you done to recommit yourself to this truth? He has saved you. You have knowledge of that. You have conviction of that. But have you recommitted yourself to that? I'm not talking about being religious to Jesus or feeling sorry that he died, but Have you really thought about the cost of your salvation recently? Have you really considered what it meant to be a Christian? Jesus said to take up your cross and follow him. Are we doing that as a church? I pray we are. I know we are. But let's recommit ourselves to that. If you're not a Christian, you must commit yourself to Christ. There is no middle ground. It's either Jesus or nothing. Who Jesus is, he's the resurrection and the life. What he requires of us, number two, is that we believe in him, but thirdly, I want you to know what he promises, what he promises. And he breaks this up into two parts here in point three. First, he tells us that there is going to be a physical resurrection. That's the first promise, a physical resurrection. Look back at verse 25. He says, he who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus, do you have some special water that's going to make me live forever. Well, it's not a natural thing, it's a supernatural thing, but it begins with a physical resurrection. To live, it means on the other side of death, when you walk out of here, you are in the immediate presence of God. Christian, I just want to remind you of this. Some of you are getting to that age where we've had these conversations about death. You don't go into some aquarium holding tank somewhere up in la-la land waiting for, for Jesus to bust out and break the glass so you can come out. That is called soul sleep. That is not biblical. You are not also, you are not also in some nirvonic state where it's like watching uh, uh, watch the 60s and all the multicolored things come across your screen. You are immediately in the presence of God when you die. Isn't that awesome? That is the fellowship that we have. After death, whether you are a believer or not, you will exist forever. Christians, you will go to heaven. Though you die, you shall live. But if you're not a Christian, you will exist forever in a place called hell, a real, literal place that will not have the abundant life. It will be a Christless, hollow existence in the in the flames of a literal hell. But I want you to see the contrast here of what happens even if he dies. And Christian, every Christian will die. Believers still die and have funerals. That's the truth. But Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it's destined for a person to die once and then face death. The judgment. He says, you will live, verse 25. You will enter into the fullness of life. And at the end of the age, Jesus will raise the dead. Body, soul, and spirit will be preserved. He says also in John 5, you don't need to turn there, but John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus said, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 tells us that for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Every graveyard will be raised out of the tomb and empty, and those who are in Christ will be contrasted by good deeds will be in the presence of God. That is the promise, Christian, that you have today, that every believer goes right into the presence of God. And every real person, the body goes straight into the grave. But Jesus wants it all. He's going to raise your body. He's going to give it existence. Well, well, Pastor, what about people who died in war? What about those people who, who, who died in service to our country whose bodies were never recovered? If God can make them, God can rejoin them. Or what about people who've lost a limb to diabetes, an arm, a foot, or whatever? Well, Jesus knows where it all is, and he'll raise it up to be reunited with him someday in glory. Amen? That is the presence of our God. You will live forever. But I want you to know that any person who's outside of Jesus Christ will have a different resurrection. John 5 tells tells us that it's a resurrection of judgment that God has marked for all, and it cannot be taken away. There is a resurrection of judgment. Jesus will raise all to life, whether to eternal life or to eternal destruction. So, friend, after you die, after you're buried, whether you're cremated or not, and let me just say a pastoral word. There is nothing in the Bible that says burial is better than cremation. There's nothing in the Bible that says cremation is better than burial. That's a decision you need to make. The point of it is this, is that Jesus says this, even though you die, you shall live. And the second you go into glory, you will never be more alive than you are now. All your senses will be firing. That is the promise of this risen Jesus. He says not only does he promise us a physical resurrection, but notice verse 26. He says, and everyone, John 11:26, 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, shall never die. Well, didn't he just say the same thing, Pastor? Sort of. In order for the physical to work, though, there must also be a spiritual. There must be a new birth. And this new birth is that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Who lives? Who's he talking about? It's all those people who've turned to him, who say, Jesus, I believe you are God, and I repent of my sin, and I trust you as Savior. We who were once separated from God will now be sovereignly called to God. And when he calls us, he gives us new life. And if we hear his voice, we will live forever. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. First, you are made alive. You believe in God. You are called by the sovereign grace of God. No man in his sin can ever choose the Lord Jesus apart from God giving him faith to do so. Ephesians 2.8.9. I mean, what can a dead man do? I mean, not trying to be crass, but if you've been to a funeral before and you've ever said to the casket, in Spanish and pig Latin and French or whatever language you can speak, come up, come and do it. They usually don't. They usually stay in the grave. What can a dead man do? Nothing. But when God imparts spiritual life, they can do all things. Later in this chapter, Jesus is going to do those famous words. They're going to roll back the stone and they're going to say, man, Jesus, you don't know, Lazarus is going to stink. He's been in the grave a few days. And Jesus looks in there and says, Lazarus, what's he say? Come forth. And if you're a Christian here today, that's what God has told you to do. Dead men don't believe. God, by his grace, makes them alive. Those, Ephesians 1, Romans 9, he has chosen from the foundation of the world. So what do you know? You know this. He promises you a physical resurrection, but also a spiritual one. You have been spiritually resurrected. You will never die. Friend, this is why we believe that when you die, you are in Christ. This is eternal security. This is once alive, always alive. What is settled in eternity can never be undone by time. Christian, if you take nothing else out of this sermon today, just remember this. There are good-meaning people in this world who literally walk with a target on their back because they believe they're going to lose their salvation if they sin too much. Now you can take that to the other extreme, can't you? You can say, well, if all my sins forgiven, let me just go live like a hellion and do whatever I want." That's not what Jesus says either. What he says is, is that you will never die. If you're in Christ, you cannot be removed from Christ. and that is the joy of knowing the risen Savior. He promises us we will not die, but we will live. Who is He? He's the resurrection and the life. What's he require that you believe in him? What's he promise? that you will not die, but you will live. And finally, fourthly, what does he ask of you? Look back at verse 26. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's what he asked of you. This is intensely personal. He asked Martha, do you believe this? Not does your sister believe this? Not does your family believe this? Not everyone else, but do you believe this? As a parent, I can tell you And I know you all understand this as a parent, grandparent, if you have kids or grandkids, and if you're a Christian, if you could believe for them, if you could make them become Christian sincerely, truly, genuinely, wouldn't you do it in a heartbeat? Because you want your kids to be in heaven, don't you? You want them to be forgiven. You want them to know the truth of the gospel. But we can't do that. It's a choice all of us must make. God gives each of us this question, do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe he's the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that if you believe in him, that he will raise you up? And he's it's not just general thoughts about religion. There's a lot of religious people today. And I'm gonna say it again. Man, my social media lights up every time this time of year. People, I've I've seen things on their Facebook and Instagrams and Twitter that make you cringe. All of a sudden are the are the world's greatest Christians. Friends, it's not about Just hear this clearly. If you know Jesus, your life is gonna be different. It's gonna be different. We are fools. We believe a dead guy lives. You're in a parking lot, most of you today, because you believe a dead guy 2,000 years ago lives. That's just weird. Can I say this? Let's make Christianity weird again, okay? Make Christianity weird again. W C A A. Make Christianity weird again. Whatever. You figure out the acronym. If you're a Christian, you're going to be weird. The world is going to look at you on a day like this and say, you actually believe a dead guy, a wandering evangelist 2,000 years ago who lived in Israel is still alive today. And if you're a Christian, you're going to look them square in the face. You may stutter. You may shake. Paul came to the Corinthians trembling with fear. And you may say, yes, I do. Because you know what? I know he's alive. We not only have historical proof, we have proof in the lives of people. We have proof in the scriptures. Where do you want to go? This has been proven time and time again. But Christian, he says, do you believe in me? And you can say, Lord, I do. And I thank you that you saved me. Lord, I don't care if I'm a fool for you. I don't care if I get weird looks for you. I want to live for Jesus. I want my family to live for Jesus. And that settles it. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. But if you're not a Christian today, do you believe this? We're so grateful you're here. If you're watching online, listening online, we're so grateful you've tuned in. But do you know for sure if you died today, if you would be in heaven? I mean, do you really know? Do you honestly know if you passed away where you will go and spend eternity? Jesus tells us that He's the resurrection and the life. If you believe in Him, you will be saved. Christian, that is our greatest hope. Don't let that ever get old. Don't let it ever get old. Some of you, God may move you on someday. If you go to a church where they say to you, "Eh, it doesn't really matter if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, as long as you believe in the symbol of the resurrection, run for the hills, man, run for the hills. A symbolic resurrection will never save you. You know why? Because my sins are real. My need is real. And I need a real Savior. That's what I need to know. Christian, He is risen. Can you say it with me? He is risen indeed. And if you're here today, you can know that Jesus is your Savior and you can know He's your Lord. What an awesome God we serve. Can I say it again? Buddha dead. Muhammad dead. Confucius dead. Joseph Smith dead. Russell Taylor Hayes, whatever his name was, Jehovah's Witnesses dead. Mary Eddie Baker dead. Jim Jones dead. Fill the blank religion dead. But Jesus Christ lives forever. That is what we know. And that's it. Christian, it is really that simple. May our lives, may our message, may our church, may our families, may that be the resounding message. I will fail you as a pastor. I have failed you as a pastor. I will fail my wife, my kids, as a husband and a father. But our God will never fail because we know he always keeps his promises. Christian, are we living today like our Savior's alive Are we letting a pandemic? Are we letting fear of a world? Are we letting fear of man take over our hold? Listen, be safe. Do all the things we need to do to follow the laws. I'm all about that, as long as it doesn't go against Scripture. But I pray today as we celebrate our second Easter in pandemic, that our eyes are more fixed on a risen Savior than they are against anything else in this world, because He's our only sure hold. Let's pray together, and we'll turn it over to Pastor Craig. Father, thank You so much. As we come today, we know it is by grace through faith. Father, you told us who you are. You're the resurrection and the life. You told us what is required of us, that we believe in you. You told us what you promised us, Lord, and that is that we would live forever even though we die. You're going to physically and spiritually resurrect us. Father, you've told us that, that, Lord, we are told to believe in you, and yet, Lord, here we are. Through all these things in life, would you help us to remember that Christ is king indeed. Father, we love you. Your son is risen. He is risen indeed. May that inform all we do. We love you so much. As we sing our last song, Lord, may you speak to us. Thank you for our team. We pray in Jesus' name.